0: To be strengthened in that faith. So that we may walk in the obedience of that faith. God, would you do that now? Through the power of your word. In tandem with the spirit. Would you take it and drive this word into our hearts? Piercing us. Exposing sin in us. And conforming us more to Christ that we may rest in him alone for salvation. Lord, we pray and we ask this in the name of Christ our King. Amen. If I were to ask you this morning, how do you know you are alive? What would you do? Maybe would somebody run home and grab their birth certificate and show that I'm alive? See, I have this birth certificate that says I was born on this date in this city in this place. Would that be what you turn to for proof of life? I hope not. I, I hope not. I hope you all have a birth certificate, but I hope that's not what you turn to in in verifying if you are alive or not. I hope the first things you do is begin to. S- Check for those vital signs of life. Am I breathing? Do I have a pulse or not? Those are, are the ways, hopefully, we check to see if somebody's alive. As, as paramedics, as rescue workers go in to a, a scene and, and test, they, they check for that pulse to see if the person is breathing. That's the way we see whether or not we have life. But now let me flip that at, at different means what about when it comes to spiritual life how do we know that we're spiritually alive do we are we like the person who turns to their birth certificate and says I'm alive because I have this marked I have this piece of paper maybe it's not a piece of paper maybe it's a date written in your Bible when you were baptized and When you came forward and and were accepted as a member, maybe you've got that date written down in your Bible, and, and that's what you turn to say, see, I'm alive, it's here. It's kind of as pointless as turning to that birth certificate to see if you're truly alive. All it is is a date written down. It doesn't tell you are you actually alive in Christ or not. The signs of life are much different, and the Lord Jesus gives us these signs Of what is called the new birth he tells us what is essential to ensure that we are alive in him and how to even look for those signs through the power of the spirit that's what we're going to be talking about this morning in John 3 1 through 15 so if you have a Bible I invite you to go ahead and pull that out and turn there but as you're Turning there, I want, I want to recap here what we've already seen in John 1, 12 through 13. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see, John, as he's writing this gospel account, as he's writing to help us persuade us towards belief he's already hinted at this reality that we need to be born of God that God here of himself has given the right to become children of God but now we begin to unpack that here in John 3 what does it mean to be born of God what does it mean to not be born of blood or or the will of the flesh or the will of man but to be born of God well that's where we turn here in John 3 1 through 15 Hear the word of the Lord from John 3, 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Now, keep in mind, we, we know what's coming right after this, the the infamous John 3.16. And, and, you know, t- just to be frank, this text could have been broken up in a million different ways. I could have done this morning, John 2.23 through John 3.8, and it could have been faithful. We could have done John 3.1 through 22 or 21, and it been faithful. We're pausing here because I think this is, is kind of where the author kind of breaks the thought a little bit and it's a conversation here in John three one through fifteen centering on a conversation with Nicodemus. It seems three twenty one and or three sixteen through twenty one is kind of a side note thought of explaining this even further. More commentary, additional notes of how this can be. So that's kind of what we're doing. But keep in mind, this all goes together. It's all closely tied. It's all building together. That's why we do expository preaching, because it all builds together. It fits together neatly. It's not just some random, distinct things. So keep that in mind as we labor through this. But we will get to John three sixteen through 21 next Sunday. That's the beauty of expository preaching. What's up next in the text is what we deal with. And we will get to that. But this morning, let's let's think about kind of what is John 3, 1 through 15, saying? What's the main idea here being communicated in this set of verses? Well, I think the main idea the text is trying to communicate, and, and ultimately then what this sermon is trying to do is communicate this truth. Without a second birth, we will not see the kingdom of God. Therefore, we need to turn our eyes to Jesus and believe in the lifted Son. That's it. Without a second birth, we will not see the kingdom of God. Therefore, we need to turn our eyes to Jesus and believe in the lifted son. We're going to unfold that in two points. One, a spiritual birth, which is, is verses 1 through 8. And then two, a lifted son, verses 9 through 15. That, now, that's a lot still to unpack, but that, that's where we're going and to help give you some handlebars of where we're at in the sermon this morning. So let's consider point number one. A spiritual birth. Now, last week we ended with John 2 23 through 25. We saw that Jesus withheld himself from many who believed in his name as they saw these signs. He withheld himself because he knew what was in man. He needed no one to bear witness about them to him. He knew what was deeply within their hearts. So, the question we were left hanging on with is who then can be born again? who who does Jesus entrust himself to who is it that has this right to to actually be accepted by Jesus maybe it's the religious leaders of the day maybe it's not just the mass crowds maybe it has to be one who's educated one who's of a certain class and then comes Nicodemus verses one and two now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews this man came to Jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him Nicodemus like the crowd recognized these signs that Jesus was doing he went a step further and not just only believed in Jesus' name at the sight of signs, he said, This one is truly of God because of these signs. Now, if you're one who, who's been paying close attention on how John's working here through it, you may notice wait a minute, it uses a plural use of signs. What in the world? I thought there had only been one sign John has, has alluded to, and that was turning water to wine. Well, keep in mind. John makes it clear at the very end of this gospel account that Jesus did many signs. And if all of them were recorded in this or recorded down, that not even the whole world could contain all the signs and wonders he did. Just because John doesn't point out specific signs, doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't doing a plethora of signs. He was doing signs probably continually so much that we can't have a full account. So there's more than just the sign of water to wine that he's been doing here. And this is beginning to cause people to to wonder about who he is and what he's doing. So much here, a, a ruler of the Jews comes to him and says, look, you've got to be from God. We've seen too many signs and only God or someone with God can do these. So he begins to believe. So is this Nicodemus, is this ruler of the Jews, is this Pharisee going to be accepted as he presents himself as one who believes? No. Sure, he says, we, you are a teacher, no one can do these things unless God is with him. He, he verifies truth, but notice what Jesus responds with in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus will not be justified by simply making true statements about who Jesus is and saying, Oh, I believe that you're one sent from God. He has to believe deeper truths. And in fact, it says he must be born again. In fact, this this truth is so certain. Jesus uses this word truly, truly this double use of it is saying, look, What I'm about to say is so crucial you need to pay attention you need to zero in on this next phrase because it's crucial it's crucial if you want to see the kingdom of God you must be born again well like most of us probably the first time we heard this we're thinking dude no way do, do you go back into your mother's Do you go back up the birth canal in in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s? Do you go back in to to be born again the same way and come out? Kind of be like Genie and Aladdin. We live in space. The point is, Nicodemus misses this.
1: He misses
0: what does it mean to be born again. Because Nicodemus says there in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? The same question we probably were wondering the first time we heard this. of What does it mean to be born again? Of course, this isn't ter- talking about a normal birth from your mother. It's not talking about being born a second time coming out of your mother's birth canal. Through the whole process. No, notice what Jesus says and how he describes the second birth verses five and six. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He is talking about a call for a spiritual birth in the second birth. This call to be born again is that of a spiritual birth. One that is of spirit and water. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. But first, we need to consider what Jesus says there in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. What does it mean to be born of the flesh? Well, one literally our flesh. To be born as man is to be born in the flesh. But it also means to be born of fleshly, carnal things. When we come out and enter into this world, we are born in sin. We're conceived in sin. We're born in sin. There is no good in us. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit in the garden, sin entered into the world. But it didn't just barely enter and contaminate a small part. It contaminated everything in the world in which we live. It contaminated life by death in it. It contaminated the relationship between man and beast, between man and the ground. Think of it this way. If any of you have ever been gardeners or farmers and and gone to plant the ground, you know at times it can be very difficult to, to dig that dirt and to plant. Do you realize that that is part of the curse? How sin has affected the very world in which we live. That the garden and the ground itself are hardened and difficult to work because of sin. Do you realize in, in Isaiah it talks about a child and a cobra playing together in the new heavens and the new earth. That in times that new heavens and new earth picture is that of a, a child and a little adder, a cobra playing together. Sin has affected the relationship between man and beast. We would have all been vegetarians in the garden. Sin has manifested everywhere. And it's manifested itself in every part of us. No, we're not as sinful as we could be. It doesn't mean that we are as bad as we could be. It doesn't mean every one of us are born murderers. At least not actual murderers. But we murder in our hearts. We commit adultery in our hearts. You see, sin affects our body and our minds. It affects everything about us. It creates relational strife. Why do you think it's so hard to do relationship? Any of you who have been married more than just a few weeks knows. Marriage can be a hard thing because you're living in close proximity with another sinner. If you think that you're in marriage, it's supposed to be two godly people, look at yourself and realize you're a sinner. Look at your spouse and look, they're a sinner. You see, sin affects everything about us. That's what it means to be born in sin. Everything is corrupted. Sin has so affected us that we're born in this fleshly sense. I love it how John Calvin puts it. He says, Therefore, it follows that we are all naturally banished from the kingdom of God, deprived of heavenly life and in slavery to death, because of that very sin that we've been talking about and thinking about. It's no wonder that we're deprived of heavenly life and called to be born again, because we're in slavery to death. Death reigns in us in sin. That's how we're born and enter into this world. And, and this call to be born again is a call to, to fix that issue. Because friends, uh, as we are born in the flesh, that means we can't see God rightly. We can't see the world rightly. We can't see truth rightly. Maybe we see glimmers of it, but it's so, it's so blurred that we can't get a clear picture of it. Imagine trying to look out, you know, think about the old stained glass windows. I know that's a touchy subject to some still in this church. But consider when you would look out those stained glass windows, you can't see what's actually outside clearly. That's how it is when we're born in sin. We can't see clearly even the goodness of what's outside of it. It's so blurred. We don't see God rightly. We won't choose God because we are in our sin. We love ourselves and our sin too much. Even you who think, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. You think you're a pretty good person. And yet, the reality is you have known nothing but sin. Because even the very statement to say that, oh, I'm a good person is an idolatrous thought. Because you think somehow you've achieved something nobody else can. That's idolatry. That's sin. You see how sin has affected us, which brings to to marvel Then what is this exact new birth? Brothers, sisters, friends, we can't rightly understand the beauty of the new birth until we first understand that of the fleshly birth. How corrupted we were. Only then can we marvel at what Jesus is saying here of this call that truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We need to be born again, but born of both water and spirit. But what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be born of water and spirit here? Nicodemus should have began to to have some of this click in his mind. He, being a teacher of the law, a ruler uh, of the Jews, a Pharisee, he should have known the Old Testament inside and out as a teacher of it. But he missed it. Earlier in the service, we read from Ezekiel 36. In those verses in particular, I want to revisit verses 25 through 27, which say this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. Now, let me make note, when it says a heart of flesh versus a heart of stone, it's not talking about being born of the flesh. The flesh there, yes, it's the same word, but context tells us it's talking about two different things. The heart of stone is hardened to truth. The heart of flesh is soft. It's receptive. It absorbs. The being born of flesh is that which is carnal, temporarily, of this world. See the difference, I hope. But this second birth is a call for these fulfillments of these promises God made long ago through the prophet Ezekiel to be given that new heart and new spirit through water, through cleansing, through a new spirit coming from God Himself. Even in the passage we read, it says that God Himself is doing this. It's not of you. It's not because of you. I am doing this for my name's sake. The new birth is from start to finish an act of God for the glory of God. The new birth from start to finish is an act of God for the glory of God. He does it through his spirit and it working in tandem with his word to create this new life to cleanse those who were previously blinded in sin, who were dead in sin. Keep in mind what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.1. You were born dead in your sins and trespasses. And the last time I checked, with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ, a dead man does not bring themselves to life. A dead man does not bring himself to life. Friends, we need to marvel at this new birth and the fact that it is an act of God bringing dead sinners to life. Because of our own sinful nature, we will not choose God. We're too self-absorbed. As we're in the flesh, we are too self-absorbed to ever run to God. We want to be kings. My, My last name, Ryan, literally means little king. And the reality is that's what we all are. We want to be our own little kings. We want to call the shots. We want to determine what's good. We want to be like God, just as Adam and Eve did. You think why did Adam and Eve ever sin in the garden? Just wait till you came along. You would have done the same thing. So would have I. We want to be like God. We want to determine what is good and evil for ourselves and not submit to his rule. But this new birth comes to overturn this. As the Spirit works in tandem through the Word, the Lord is overturning these things. No, we can't see it. We can't see it. That's what what Jesus goes on to say there in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Our naked eye can't see the spirit no more than it can see the wind. But just think about it. We're in the month of February. Some of those cold days, we certainly may not see the wind, but we feel its effects. We hear its effects. As the wind blows hard and and rattles the trees around you, you hear and make notice of the wind. You don't wonder what's causing those to, to shake. You know, it's the wind. As you feel that bitter cold hit your face on one of those cold days, you know, it's the wind because you feel it's bitter touch and the same is true of the spirit. No, we cannot see the work of the spirit with the naked eye, but we can notice its movement. We can feel its presence. We can testify whether or not it's there. So we should marvel, yes, we should marvel in the amazement of this. We should marvel in the sense of awe and wonder of how God does this, but we should not marvel to the point of trying to understand every detail of this in order to believe it's true. The very fact that we see how the Spirit works in regenerating hearts and making them new again to the point of belief. Even that moment you first believed, Christian, You may have not recognized it was fully that of the Spirit. You just thought, I believed. But even the fact that you went from unbelief to the moment of belief, it was God working through the power of His Spirit to draw you to that place of faith, giving you open eyes to see clearly for the first time and say, I want this Jesus. I'm going to trust in Him. We see the work of the Spirit and the fact that it radically overturns lives. Converting those who were wicked into those who are now loving towards others. Think about your own testimony. How has the Spirit made itself evidence in you? How has it been at work in showing you transformation? How is it causing you to grow in those fruits of the Spirit? For some of you, maybe it's shown that you were a bitter, frustrated person towards others, and now you've become a loving, caring, kind, compassionate person. Maybe you were somebody who was full of nothing but impatience. You couldn't wait a second, and all of a sudden you find yourself learning to patiently wait on God. That's evidence of the Spirit at work. We cannot necessarily see the Spirit, but we can feel it. J. C. Ryle, in his his commentary, says, "The man born of God believes that Jesus is the Christ, does not commit sin, does righteousness, loves the brethren, overcomes the world, keeps himself from the wicked one. This man, this is the man born of the Spirit, where the fruits are to be seen. There is the new birth of which our Lord is speaking." In these ways, we can testify of the Spirit's work of a new birth. D.A. Carson echoes this thought, and he says, we can neither control Him nor understand Him, talking about the Spirit, but that does not mean we cannot witness His effects. Where the Spirit works, the effects are undeniable and unmistakable. Friend, the Spirit, though we don't fully see, Though we don't understand every aspect, it makes clear where it is at work in, in transforming hearts and lives to the moment of belief in Jesus. This is what's necessary to see the Kingdom of God, to enter the Kingdom of God. And we're not talking about heaven here when we talk about the Kingdom of God. Do you realize the Kingdom of God is visible even in this earthly life? Because the Kingdom of God is the advancement of God's rule and reign. It advances every time a believer comes to faith in Jesus. It advances every time a faithful gospel church is planted throughout the ends of the earth. Because new embassies are established, communicating God's rule and God's Kingdom. You think about American embassies around the world Once you enter that embassy, whether you're in Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, China, no matter where you enter, you're on sovereign soil of the United States of America in that embassy. Likewise for the other nations. Because it represents the nation of the homeland. The church is an embassy of the kingdom of God. We here at Central City Church are an embassy of the kingdom of God, calling His rule, advancing His kingdom. To the ends of the earth as we operate and function this is why the new birth is so important because if we don't actually have people who are born again in Christ as members then we have false representatives of the kingdom of God you ever thought of that sure it's great every time we add somebody on but if they're not a born-again believer if they've not actually professed right and true faith in Jesus they give a wrong representative of the kingdom we represent. They hinder the mission. And not only that, then they're confused. Because they begin to think, oh, Central City Baptist Church affirmed me that I'm a believer in Jesus because they accepted me as a member. They even dumped me in the water. So so yeah, that day, that that affirmation is what I'm leaning on. Friends, is that what Jesus is teaching here? In the call of what a new birth is and how to test ourselves, does he he say here? As he gives this analogy of the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's the evidence we're to look for. That's the assurance of faith that these visible signs are the outworking of the Spirit. Consider the fact of the fruits of the Spirit that of those growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Even as a church of people who are working together to be deeply in loving one another, committed to one another because of their one faith and one baptism in the one Lord Jesus Christ. This is how we know and test ourselves to see, is this of the Spirit? Is the Spirit working? So friends, if if this is what the new birth is, that's how we need to test ourselves to see, are we spiritually alive in Jesus? Do we have that evidence of the Spirit at work in the way the Bible teaches of the Spirit's work? Does what we see in each other testify and give proof of this? This is why we need one another to test ourselves so that others can challenge us and hold us accountable or pick us up when we're like, man, I, brother, sister, I'm I'm really struggling in sin this week. I just, I'm bitter, I'm frustrated, I'm full of hate. Like, there's no way I can be a Christian. And you've got a brother or sister coming along and saying, yes, I'm glad you told me and shared our struggles. Brother, yes, repent of these. Sister, repent of these. But I want to point you to something else I've seen in your life. Yeah, you've been struggling bitterness right now. But I want to point you to the fact of how you have been giving yourselves to others too. I want to point that truth in you. And get that as your evidence. I don't want you to, to be falsely assured by looking back to what once was. I want you to look right now. Here's what God's doing in your life. Here's how he's been at work and strengthening you through the power of his spirit. Rest in that, brother and sister. Work on these. Let's work through this. Let's set up a plan, but let's labor through knowing you are in Christ because of the way we have seen the fruit of the Spirit evidenced. It's not a call to be perfect in everyone, but it's a call to see that increase, to see the fruits of the Spirit at work in us, Christian. Let that be evidence of our spiritual life. But on the flip end of it too, we at Central City Baptist Church, if we understand this to be the way in which God regenerates hearts and brings the lost to Himself, we need to be a church that's more intentional in prayer. We need to be a church that's more intentional in prayer. Now I want to commend where commending is due. We are a church that is very good at praying for one another, for our neighbors and our friends and our family, In light of health issues and struggles we as a church are good at praying in those types of ways and good at meeting some of those needs as well in the midst of those but what about spiritual matters how often are we praying deeply about this Sanctification of the members of Central City Baptist Church? How often are we given to praying that we increase in love for one another? How often are we praying for the Spirit to work in help us to increase to be an intentional people? How often are we praying for us to be a people who are passionate about Jesus and sharing the gospel. How often are we praying for the lost souls around us before we ever even share the gospel? Praying that God would prepare their hearts to receive the gospel. Friends, we can't be about talking about the new birth if we're not a people who are committed to be a praying people in light of the spirit and asking for the spirit to move. Christian. See the beauty of what God does through the power of the Spirit and give yourself to prayer, all of us. Let us be committed to praying for these spiritual matters. That's how the kingdom increases, as we pray to God to work for His glory, acknowledging and trusting that He's going to act because He is consumed with His glory, because He alone is glorious. Let's be a spiritual people. Born again and committed to the things of the Spirit. Friends, test yourself in these types of ways. That's how we know whether we're truly alive in Christ. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're kind of lost. You're kind of still, what in the world at this new birth? How is this possible? How does this all work? You need to cry out to God for His Spirit to grab a hold of you this morning. Even as we go and move to our second point. As we talk about the how of this in looking to Jesus. And that brings us much more quicker to our second point. A lifted son. There in verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? How can these things be? How can this new birth be possible? How is it that the spirit comes and washes and cleanses? How does this all work together? Notice Jesus' response there in verse 10. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Here, you a teacher. You don't understand these things. Are you that ignorant? And you're supposed to be knowledgeable in these and you've missed it. He adds there in verse 11, 12, and 13 this. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who had descended from heaven, the Son, a man." Nicodemus is rebuked here, not because he doesn't grasp every little detail of the new birth, I've been studying all week, folks. It's a complex thing, and it still is complex. I don't expect us to have one sermon and all of a sudden fully grasp what this new birth. Jesus isn't getting on to Nicodemus because he doesn't necessarily grasp every detail of it, but he is of his pride that's hindering him. I love this quote from Calvin. He says, there is no worse obstacle to us than our own pride. For we always want to be wiser than is proper, and therefore we reject with devilish pride everything that is not explained to our reason, as if it were fair to limit God's infinite power to our poor capacity. Just because we don't understand it, we shouldn't limit God. We're the ones who lack understanding that doesn't mean that we should not believe God and what he's telling us namely the son of God who has come and descended to make the glory of the father known here on earth we don't need to grasp every minute detail of it we need to believe what is being testified to because that's what Jesus goes on to say but you do not like we testify and bear witness to what we have seen Jesus compares himself in light of John the Baptist and John the Apostle and in light of all of those who have come before in the prophets, that of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He says, We testify to what we have seen, and yet you don't believe. We proclaim truth, and yet you don't believe. Stop trying to grasp every little detail and reason with it and believe. Believe what I'm telling you. I'm telling you truth. Believe that truth. I'm giving you signs as evidence of that truth. Believe it. So he he rebukes him in this. Verse 12. He he says, you can't even grasp these earthly things of new birth. How in the world am I going to explain to you that heavenly matters? Let me back up here even as an illustration. Christian, how many of us? get so caught up in things of such as end times, we get so caught up in, in trying to figure out angels and demons, before we ever understand the elementary doctrines of the Christian faith, in particular that of the new birth. How many of us try and wrestle with those complex things the Bible really doesn't speak a lot about, and while glancing over what the Bible talks a lot about, namely that of repentance and faith and belief if we don't understand these basic things, there's no way we're going to grasp the more complex things or we're going to look at them rightly with speculation. Let's focus on what Jesus focused on and declared as truth. Let's focus on these elementary doctrines of new birth and what it means to actually live in light of that new birth as Christians, as it was obedient to all that Jesus has taught. Friends, we need to see that truth. But friends, what does this all have to do with, with the lifted son? Well, what Jesus says there in 14, or 13 again, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. It's, keep in mind who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee. He's talking to one uh, of the highest ranks in all of Israel, to one who the promises of Israel belong to. And he will not ascend to heaven. He will not ascend to heaven of his own merits, of his own deeds, of his flattery. None of that is what gets him in. So who are we here today as people who are of Gentile backgrounds? That means non-Jew to think we will ever ascend into heaven of our own accord and our own merits. No, only he who descended can ascend. What does that mean? Verses 14 and 15 as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus here recalls of the story from Numbers of which a bronze serpent was lifted up after the people had grumbled against God and sinned against him. They had spoken against Moses, God's representative. And God sent fiery serpents, fiery serpents to strike them. And many died. And then the Lord told Moses to lift up a bronze serpent up high so that the people could look to it and live. Again, this is all found in the book of Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. So, so write that down, look it up later, and, and recall it. But in the same way, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up who is the son of man this Jesus he's going to be lifted up this is is pointing both forward to that of his crucifixion his resurrection as well as his ascension it's doing triple duty work here as it's talking about Jesus being lifted up How, how is this new birth possible for one the son of man was lifted up to die for sinners as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world look to Jesus look up to him and live not only, though, it was Jesus to be raised up as the sacrificial lamb, as the suffering servant. He was going to be lifted up from the grave. He was going to defeat death by rising on the third day. Death would have no claim on him because he was one without sin, though he died for those full of sin. This is the one you need to look to and believe so that you may live. How? Through the power of the new birth. And because Jesus then ascended into heaven, He is before the Father, with the Father. He's interceding for those that have believed in Him. And He is working to reveal the Father through the power of the Spirit. Because the two in tenem have sent that Spirit to make the glory of God known. Opening cold and dead hearts to the moment of belief. So how is all this possible? How is this new birth possible? By the lifted Son who's defeated sin and death, who's been raised to conquer, who's now at the side of the Father in glory. He's made a way for sinners to ascend into heaven by looking to Him and living. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the hope we have. We must be a people who look to Jesus and Jesus alone for our salvation. And that belief comes through the power of the Spirit and Word. How in the world that fully works out? It's a mystery. And we're not going to fully understand it. We need to stop the bickering even that divides the Southern Baptist Convention in trying to solve and figure out it all because it's a mysterious thing. We should marvel in that sense. But we need to marvel at the Beauty of that God makes a way for wicked sinners to be born again, to have eternal life in this Jesus friends. Are you resting in that today? Are you resting in what is right and testing yourself? What is right? Is there spiritual life? Is it because you look to Jesus that you have assurance that you live? Is it seeing the fruit of the Spirit working out in your lives that gives you assurance? Are you looking in the wrong places thinking it's a date and the moment you walked the aisle, the moment you were baptized, the moment you did something, that's wrong assurance. And that won't help you in the midst of death and tribulation, if that's your only assurance, what will? The God who redeems a broken sinner such as me made me alive. I can have assurance in that. I can rest in that. Because he's not going to forsake me in the midst of this challenge. In the midst of this physical element, In the midst of death. This assurance is going to strengthen me and carry me through. Because he who made me alive isn't going to let go of me. Christian, will you rest in that truth? Friend, if this is not something you believe, what are you waiting for? You don't need to understand every detail of it. You need to see that you need to be born again to believe in Jesus. So cry out to God today. Ask him to give you a new heart and new spirit. And to be saved by having belief in Jesus and looking to him alone for salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are a God.